Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. It is so good to see all of your smiling masks. This too shall pass, amen? You know, as I was preparing this afternoon, kind of getting ready for tonight, you know, we we never know what the Lord's going to send our way. And he's allowed this particular pandemic, much like where we're studying in the book of Isaiah, which if you'll turn there with me to chapter 28 in the book of Isaiah, you, you can look at the Old Testament and you can see very clearly how the Lord has always allowed things in the lives of his kids that we could say are not exactly good. They're difficult, they're hard, uh, in the case of the children of Israel, they're, they're about to meet the Assyrian army in, in Judah. And that army is going to take a vast majority of the nation of Israel captive. The people that will be left inside of Jerusalem will then be carried away captive by the Babylonians. And so there's a lesson for us to be learned in our day and time And rather than asking God why he has allowed a pandemic, maybe we should be asking him for what purpose has he allowed this pandemic? What is he trying to say to us as the church? I want to thank you for braving this horrible weather. You know, we we are blessed. I had a little Instagram post from my, my friend Joel Turner in Canada and Calgary, and they it was like 34 degrees and hailing at his house, so there will be no complaining here, okay? And it will get warmer going forward. It's a reason for moving our Sunday morning services. Remember, they're moved to 8 and 10, and do sign up. Probably next week we will not have to have you sign up unless we have a radical increase. Uh, we have room for several hundred more people tonight. So uh, we're, we're doing everything we can to respond in a way that's appropriate and biblical and safe. And we're so thankful for our online uh, congregation that's been with us. Whether you know it or not, this church has actually grown during this pandemic. Uh, I, I would, yeah, amen. <laughs> we have, uh, last Sunday, not only did we have all the people that were here, but we had over 5,000 people connecting on different devices online. So the, the Lord's doing things. And so make sure that you're reminding yourself to be thankful, even in the midst of the difficulties that we're going through, even in the midst of the trials that you may personally be experiencing. The Lord is still good. Amen? Would you pray with me? And we'll pick up here in the book of Isaiah in chapter 28, and we'll take the whole chapter tonight as we continue our study and the first of a four-part series called The Woes of the World. Father, we thank you that we have a place to come to, Lord, that we have a parking lot. 
Lord, that we have these tents and chairs that we could move outside in a sound system and all the technical things that are needed to still continue to broadcast on our live stream. Lord, you have been good to us as a church, and we just praise your name tonight. Pray that you would speak to us. And Lord, as we learn from the children of Israel, God, some very valuable lessons that truly not much has changed in the last 2,800 years. The world is still struggling with many of the same things that's plagued mankind really since the beginning. And so, Lord, we give you tonight and pray that you would speak to us as we study your word. That's what we have come to do, is to study your word and to grow from it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. God's people all said, amen. amen. Isn't it good to be able to say amen? Yes. Good to be in the house of the Lord, the open air house of the Lord. You know, the early church met exactly like this, right? Except they didn't have sound systems and lights and stages and drums and electric guitars. Verse 1. And again, I want you to look at this in two ways. There was a real Assyrian army. That real Assyrian army was marching on Jerusalem. Jerusalem is about to be besieged. And Jerusalem is going to suffer greatly because of that siege. In the meantime, that same Assyrian army has already taken captive the 10 northern tribes called Ephraim, and we're gonna meet up with them, uh, and then also their southern neighbors that they had split off from, Judah, which is the remaining two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Uh, and so it was a very difficult time in, in the lives of the children of Israel. And it says to them, speaking of that time, Woe to the crown of pride. Now, I'm not saying there's anybody here tonight or anybody watching online that might have a bit of pride, but if you're a man, say amen. <laughs> there, there's a few things that trouble mankind consistently, and I think pride, at least in us guys, is certainly one of them. That, that saying that we know better, that we can do it our own way, that we have self-achievement and self-accomplishment, and if we just try a little harder or do it a little bit longer, if we just invest more in our own talents, that somehow uh, we'll be able to figure a way out of everything or through anything. And the first woe here is that crown of pride. And in that day and time, the term crown meant to be the head or to the covering over. It was like that was the thing that kind of everything else was underneath. And so it begins with, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but consider your own self. In a New Testament vernacular, he's basically saying, Isaiah speaking to the now entrapped children of Israel inside of this little walled city. We're so familiar with national Israel today that we think of the city of nearly a million people that's four and a half square miles or so. At that day and time, the city of Jerusalem was a little tiny city uh, that would not even make it all the way over to the Holiday Inn behind us. It was a tiny, tiny, tiny place. And they're trapped. They're inside the city walls. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, 
whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valleys to those who are overcome with wine. And I'm going to take a little time tonight because we've all been locked in and I have a pretty good idea that like the rest of the country, some of us may be thinking about some things uh, that we were not previously thinking about because we've been trapped in our house. And I, I actually had a conversation with a young man uh, a couple of days ago, and he was saying, yeah, I've been really struggling with alcohol. I haven't been drinking in a long time, but you know, ever since this COVID thing, it's like, what is there to do? I, I wanna speak to you very frankly tonight. And I wanna speak to you very pointedly tonight if you were to go on to the American Medical Association's website and, or the CDC's or any other governing body, uh, you can find reams of paper filled with statistics about the dangers of alcohol. And while the Bible does not teach total abstinence, total abstinence from it is necessary, the Bible is not am ambiguous in any way, shape, or form about the dangers of alcohol. And in no way, shape, or form does the Bible ever speak glowingly of the consumption of alcoholic beverages. Remembering the day and time, you, you cannot make a direct equivalence between the way things were 2,800 years ago when these words were uh, first written and, and our day and time. And so we have to look at this subject in our day and time, 50% of all auto fatalities, alcohol is a causative factor. 80% of all home violence, alcohol consumption is a causative factor. 30% of all suicides, alcohol consumption is a causative factor. 60% of all child abuse, alcohol is a causative factor. 65% of all drownings, alcohol is a causative factor. Why do I share these statistics with you? Because in the Bible, when we study the laws of interpretation, one of the laws that we use most frequently is the law of first mention. When anything is first mentioned in the Bible, it is believed that that is the best way to interpret every single incidence that follows thereafter. And so where is the first incidence of alcohol consumption found in the Bible? It's found in Genesis chapter 9, specifically in verses 21 through 23, and it says, and I read from it, Speaking of a good guy that you know, a man that we would all look at and go, he was a right-on dude. He, he was a good guy. His name was Noah. Amen? Matter of fact, the Bible says about Noah, he was righteous. Amen? And then he, Noah, drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on their shoulders and went in backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. 
and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. Why do I share that with you? Because from there to the other end of the Bible, the Bible has very little good to say about the consumption of alcohol and a whole bunch of things very much like that, which are not good. There are four verses in the entire Bible that even speak in a way that you could say might possibly be able to be taken in a positive light. There are 267 that are patently in a more negative light, if not completely negative. When you get to the New Testament, it's almost completely warnings. We need to be really careful about the liberties that we take, church. Because you might be able to make an excuse and you might be able to say, well, I'm not going to get drunk. Because drunkenness absolutely is a sin of any kind. Doesn't matter whether you get drunk from smoking dope or get drunk from drinking alcohol or get drunk from taking drugs. As the Apostle Paul would write in Ephesians 5, it's the dissipation of one's mind that is the issue. It's the reduction of your mental capacities. And so this woe that's being pronounced, this is a word that we don't use. We don't wander around going, now woe to you, brother. I'm pretty sure most of you don't use that word very commonly anyway. But in biblical times, it was very commonly used, and it was to express deep distress. Very often, actually, misery. So if something was really going wrong in somebody's life, it's like, man, whoa. Not like we use it today, whoa. No, it was like, whoa. It was negative. Back in chapter 5, woe to those who rise early in the morning. And that doesn't talk about you getting up early. That we may follow intoxicating drink who continue into the night until the wine inflames them. And this pattern happens throughout the Old Testament. Proverbs 23 says the same thing. Habakkuk 2 says the same thing. You, you see, part of the problem is, is that we try and explain away what the Bible actually says in totality by using little words like, I have liberty, brother. I have liberty, sister. I can do this. That's not the question. The question is, should you, as a child of God, do it? It's not, can you? The answer to that is simple. You can. That's exactly why the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, six, he said all things are lawful for me, but all things don't build up. They don't strengthen the inner man. They don't cause you to be nearer to the Lord. And in fact, he went on to say, I could do these things, but I don't want to be brought under the mastery of anything. Why is that important? Because again, I refer you to the experts. We're talking about ethanol here. Ethanol is a depressant. Ethanol chemically destroys your brain cells. Ethanol is absolutely addictive. It is the fourth most addictive thing currently on the list. And above it are things like heroin, cocaine, 
and nicotine. Those are the only three things that are currently listed as more addictive than alcohol. So when someone comes to me and says, well, I got liberty, you know, I, the Lord just spoke to me and I can do this or I can do that. Do you have the liberty to put a poison in your body when your body belongs to the Lord? I don't think you can make a real good case for that. Now you can say it's a liberty. You can say, well, Pastor Jeff, you're stepping on my liberties. Yep, I am. Proudly and gladly. Because I do not believe that the Lord Jesus intends his children to be addicted to anything. And most people who drink alcohol run that risk. You see, if you were to end up with a concentration, you know, we always talk about the blood alcohol. Well, you know, he had this amount of alcohol in his blood. And you want to, want to take a guess at what the, the death percentage is? It's only 5%. It's a poisonous substance. It's what Proverbs 20 calls strong drink, which is a brawler. It, it destroys you. You know, we're in the midst of this pandemic. We've now had 140,000 or so people that have perished from COVID-19. Every year we have 80 plus thousand people die from the effects of alcohol. And, and we don't have people running around with signs saying don't buy bud. You, you get the point? You're all wearing masks for a reason. COVID-19 is dangerous. And yet we don't talk about rationally and rightly something that is poisonous, something that destroys way more lives over time than COVID-19 will. If you look at what goes on in our country, and, and I don't want to beat you up with this, it, it is a leading cause of death in America. It's a leading cause. It's in the list with heart disease and diabetes. It's not something to be taken lightly. And so if you're a believer, which I, I would imagine a vast majority of us are tonight, do you think the Lord would be happy about us spending in America $170 billion dollars? Fighting the effects of alcohol abuse, kidney damage, liver damage, heart disease. And so before you make your little judgment about the liberty that you might have, the children of Israel took that liberty. Ephraim took that liberty. They're already in captivity. And we're going to see as the fountainhead of this thing, this pride, this abuse of alcohol that led them to be drunk, led their leaders to be drunk. Ted Kennedy was right. We have three parties in Washington, D.C. We have the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, and the Cocktail Party. <laughs> and shame on us because that's true. But I wonder how many decisions are made that are made for you that are made with exactly the same problem that Ephraim had. Because they weren't in their right minds. 
how many of the things that we face, we could say, you know, maybe that person needs to get some help. Because when you look at what alcohol is, it's a toxin. It's a toxin. Don't, don't kid yourself. You know, people say, well, you know, my doctor said. If your doctor is being truthful with you, he, will, he might say, okay, well, you know, maybe a little tiny bit, but where does a little tiny bit end? And the fact of the matter is most doctors are going to tell you, stay away from it. It will kill you. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3 and verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he goes on and says sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and those things, but it says evil desires and greed. Anything that's idolatrous, anything that you follow after that ends up being an idol. So be careful. That's why Paul said to the church of Galatia, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Don't be burdened again to the yoke of slavery. How many people are enslaved? I say this because I love you. I say this because I care. I've watched family after family after family and marriage after marriage after marriage and relationship and, and relationships with children be damaged sometimes permanently, oftentimes permanently. People die. We're supposed to be new creations in Christ. We're supposed to be, if you want to know this, you are supposed to be addicted to Jesus Christ. That's who you're supposed to be addicted to if you want to be addicted to something. Amen? So let's not play with fire. Let's not play with fire. Can you? I suppose you could justify if you really wanted to try. But here is a staff. No one gets that liberty. We, we treat it just like we're Levites. And they were not allowed to allow alcohol to go through their lips. We want to be like the Nazarites. We want to take that vow and say, Lord, I want to put in my body what is holy unto the Lord. And I encourage you to do the same. I, I encourage you to stand strong. Don't become like Ephraim. Because it cost them. They were taken captivity. And Judah was about to follow them. Isaiah saw these storm clouds gathering. That was the, that was the real problem. They were storing these things up, if you will. And, and if you look at this, this passage makes it clear and we're going to see it very shortly as we read the remainder of this passage. That your conscience, your morality, your physical strength, your ability to cognate, think, are all negatively affected. And when our leaders do that, do you think they're going to lead us better? Do you think they're going to be more effective? The answer to that is no. And the same is true for us. And so let's hold ourselves to a high standard and not take up an activity 
that for most people will be a form of ruin to them. It's just another way to kill yourself slowly. And I strongly encourage you that it is not worth the time, the effort, the energy, nor the treasure. Verse 2, Behold, the Lord has a mighty and a strong one, like a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, like a flood of mighty waters overflowing, who will bring them down to the earth with his hand. And so the Lord is now saying, look, this is referring to the Assyrian army, and, and God's using the Assyrian army to deal with his own people. I got into an email exchange last week with a, with a young man up in Washington State. And he, he was, you know, was just like, well, you know, my parents keep telling me that this is a judgment of God. And I said, I agree with your parents. I do. I think that the Lord has allowed this to straighten a few things out in the life of the believers that are in this country. We've had so much for so long. I think that the Lord has said, let me show you what, it's look, what it looks like when you don't have those things. And so it'd be really good for us to listen to the word of the Lord in this passage because I think it helps us understand that God's not beyond spanking his own kids. Now you might say, well, it seems kind of harsh. No, God chastens those whom he loves, amen? Matter of fact, if he doesn't, he doesn't love you. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. And so verse three says, the crown of pride, there it is again, the drunkards of Ephraim will be trampled underfoot. And the glorious beauty is a fading flower which is the head of the verdant valley, like the first fruit before summer, which an observer sees and he eats it up while it's still in his hand. Never even makes it into the basket to get it back to the storehouse. It just comes and goes. For in that day, and again, this is looking forward. So the Lord is now speaking in that day when Israel, uh, one day, and it's a day ahead of us, even in our day and time. So he's going back and forth between these two timelines. Present day with the children of Israel, now tra trapped in Jerusalem, and future when they will see the Lord of lords and the, and the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. And so there it is, those who walk in the Lord, those who understand his righteousness, those who do what God asked them to do for the spirit of justice is to him who sits in judgment. And for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. But they also have erred through wine. And so here it goes again, through intoxicating drink. They're out of the way. In other words, these guys are so concerned with their party lifestyle and their drinking that when the battle comes, they're completely useless in the battle. They can't defend a thing. They've been taken out of the way is a way to look at it because they're so consumed with themselves and the consumption of alcohol that they're now useless to the Lord. Now I want you to notice what comes next. And this is a dire warning to the church and to its leadership. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. When pastors come to me and say, you know, well, you know, I've got liberty. I go, do you really? Because I can't find a single place in the entire Bible that ever says that anyone engaged in full-time ministry should ever take that liberty. And here's one of them. 
The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxication. Can you imagine when the pastors end up at the party? Don't invite me, I ain't coming. It's not happening. They are in vision. They stumble in judgment. This is still talking about the church leadership. For all the tables are full of vomit and filth and no place is clean. Man. It's like you're going like, I came back to church to hear this. <laughs> you know, it's good. Maybe this isn't for you tonight. Maybe this is when you're a parent and your children come. Hey, dad, mom, what do you think? I got invited to a party. Yeah, it's going to be a kegger, but... You know, we won't drink too much. Maybe it's for your son. Maybe it's for your daughter. Maybe it's for your cousin, your aunt, your uncle. Maybe it's for somebody you know and love. Maybe it's to give counsel to somebody when they come to you. And, well, you know, I was really thinking about this, and I, I can't really come to a good, strong conclusion about it. Let me give you a good, strong conclusion. When you do not know what to do with the liberty, the best thing you can do is to do nothing with the liberty. Don't do it. That's good counsel. When you're not sure, don't tell somebody you are. Judah was guilty of all these same sins as, as Samaria, as Ephraim. And the bottom line is, they looked at this, and instead of understanding it as we would understand it in a New Testament perspective from Ephesians 5, you see, you can't walk circumspectly when your mind is altered. You can't walk uprightly when you've made yourself into a fool. Now, I don't know how many of you have more brain cells than you need, but I don't. Me personally, I need every last one of them. My hard drive, Connie and I laugh about this all the time, as you get older, the problem is it's not that you can't think, it's there's so much junk inside of your head from living a long time that your hard drive is full and you need to do a data purge. <laughs> and you can't, you can't get it out. <laughs> amen? Barbara's saying amen. <laughs> Annie's saying amen. It's like your hard drive's full. Now imagine that you take a few sectors of your hard drive and you damage them so they no longer process data. Or they send the data to the wrong file. That's what alcohol does. It says, well, I think that belongs in this file. No, it doesn't. That's why Paul said redeeming the time because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. There, there in verse 18, that's an unusual word. It's used only twice, or it's equivalent, in all of Scripture. And then it gives the counter to it. It says, but be filled with the Spirit. Why is that important? Because you're going to be filled with something. The question is what? So do you want to be filled with a dissipated ability to process information? Do you see how that works? 
Do you want to be filled with a dissipated ability to process information? Or do you want to be filled with the Spirit which gives you a supernatural ability to process that information? You see, that's why this is so important, because here's the deal. Now imagine that these leaders in Judah had been filled with the Spirit instead of wine. Everything that's going to follow would have been completely altered in how they saw the solution. Instead, their minds were dissipated. They caved into carnality in the flesh. They took it upon themselves to come up with carnal solutions to God-sized problems. That is never a good idea, and it does not end well. Kind of reminds me of a Japanese proverb. First, a man takes a drink, and then the drink takes a drink, and then the drink takes the man. You don't actually see it clearly in the midst of it. And so verse 9 says something interesting. And now this is kind of these pastors are now like instructing other people. Whom will he teach knowledge? Well, the answer is not us. Whom will he make to understand the message? Again, not us. Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from breasts? No, we're busy being babies. I'm interpreting this for you in a modern vernacular. For precept must be upon precept and precept upon precept and line on line and line on line and here a little and there a little. In other words, they're basically admitting we can't be taught anything and don't tell us about the Bible. We don't want to hear it. You're saying, where's it go? From? Well, wait, it gets better. Because when you take pride and put it at the top, and you add to it drunkenness, this is not Judah's only sins. This wasn't their only problem. This wasn't their only woe. That's how you end up in that place of sitting with somebody. You've had a few beers, and all of a sudden, well, Pastor Jeff's an idiot. He actually believes the Bible is true. And he told us all about what the Bible says. And pretty soon you start, end up, you, you end up in that place where you're just like mocking. Oh yeah, they're a bunch of Jesus freaks. Yes, I am. Proudly, loudly, and out. I came out of that closet a long time ago. No, I'm, I'm out about it. The Bible's true. I believe what it says. And it wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. So why is that important? Because these guys go on to begin to mock God's prophets, mock God's word, and they end up then not listening to the Lord. That's not a good idea if you claim to be one of God's kids that you say, well, you know, I'm not really going to listen to the pastor and I don't really care what the Bible says. And so basically, you can look at a paraphrase and say, well, you know, he keeps saying the same things over and over again. He uses the vocabulary of a child. Yeah, that's because you're drunk. That's because you're not listening. That's what you do when people have diminished capability. You go, well, I'll tell you again. Let me use smaller words. Watch my lips. 
Verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. He's trying to tell them the truth. This is the refreshing, yet they would not hear it. Do you see it? But the word of the Lord was to them precept upon precept and precept on precept and line on line and line upon line and here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. They're mocking God's word. They're mocking the prophet who speaks it. It's like, yeah, he keeps saying the same thing over and over again. You know, there's a reason the Bible repeats things. Somebody asked me one time, you know, why does the Bible say that so many times? Because uh, we're dense as rocks? Because sometimes we don't listen? Because we don't like when God steps on our little, you know, thing that we want to do? And he says, you know, that's really not good for you. That's why I told you no in the first place. Those of you who are parents, you know exactly how this works with your kids, right? First mom goes, well, no, you really shouldn't do that. And usually gives some type of reason, maybe tertiary. It may not be a full explanation. But then you find out that the children don't like that answer. So what do they do? They go to dad, right? And dad kind of goes, well, you know, your, your mom's had a rough day. And, uh, you know, you really shouldn't do that. But, you, you know, and so maybe dad steps it down a little bit and takes a little bit lower on the, on the register, as it were. And the next day they come back with yet another excuse to do exactly the same thing. And before you know it, they've been told the same thing 10 different times, 12 different ways, because somebody used two at once. And, and, and they're still looking for some way to get around that issue to get to another answer, which is the one that they want to hear instead of the one that's the truth and the one that's best for them. That's what people often do with the word of the Lord. God's word says what it says, it means what it says, and no amount of us sitting there, well, I think you could maybe kind of sort of, if you, if you did it on Tuesday and you didn't do too much of it, maybe it would only be kind of sort of hideous and not totally destructive. Notice what it says, that they might go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and caught. In other words, it's a trap. You're gonna stumble into a trap when you don't listen to the word of the Lord. And therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule the people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said, we've made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we are in agreement with an overflowing scourge that passes through, and it will not come to us. It's like the louder they, they protest about the severity of what's going to happen, it's like, well, that'll never happen to us. Do you know how many times I've had people tell me, well, no, I'm not addicted. I don't have a problem with that. I can handle it. It's a liberty. Don't worry about it. Only to go visit them in the hospital or, or have them in the office for marriage counseling because their marriage is falling apart. It's untold numbers of times. The Bible is true. It says what it says for a reason. God's telling you these things because he wants you to not go there. 
For we have made lies our refuge and understood falsehood, and we've hidden ourselves. And therefore, says the Lord God, speaking forward of the Messiah, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, speaking of Jesus, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And whoever believes will not act hastily. And also I will make justice a measuring line and righteousness a plummet. You see, he's, he's drawing a, a, a line between these things. He says, look, as God's people, you're supposed to walk in righteousness. You're supposed to walk in uprightness and truth. What are you doing messing around over here in a place that isn't that? It's lies. And the hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. He's saying, look, when Assyria comes, all this fake stuff you've been trusting in, it isn't going to matter how many you know, beers you pounded back when the Assyrians come. It's not going to save you. Your party lifestyle and your lies is, is not going to protect you from what's coming. Your covenant with death will be annulled. In other words, all of your swearing and protesting will come to absolutely nothing. It won't matter. It's going to be annulled. And your agreement with Sheol will not stand. No, it's actually going to get really bad for you. And when the overflowing scourge passes through, then you'll be trampled down by it. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to get to go through this your own way. I sent the Assyrians, and you can either turn in righteousness to the cornerstone, or you're going to get trampled by Assyria. That's true in our lives, spiritually. God says what he says because he loves us. He doesn't want us to get trampled. He doesn't want you going down. He doesn't want you stumbling backwards. He doesn't want you falling over. He doesn't want your family falling over. He wants you men. He wants us to lead in righteousness in our homes so that our kids grow up in an environment where they understand what the will of the Lord is. He wants our homes to be little pieces of Zion where the Lord is supreme. And nothing that tarnishes him comes into our homes. As often as it goes out, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass over. Day and by night, it will be a terror just to understand the report. For the bed is too short to stretch out on, and the covering so narrow that one cannot wrap himself in it. He's saying, look, you're going to be like a short-sheeted bed. You ain't going to fit. Those are important things. You know, sometimes we read these passages that are, that are strong like this. And you can take them one of really two ways. One, you can say, man, the Lord loves me. And so he's telling me a strong truth. Or you can say, yeah, the Lord's trying to kill my fun. The Lord loves you. The Lord loves us. That's why the Lord warns us. That's why he speaks these things. It's why he spoke to the children of Israel, and that's why he allows us to apply it to our lives today. He says, look, this is still the truth. If you go down this road, this is the result. You're going to be overcome by it. It's going to get you, in other words. You're going to hop into bed, and you're going to go, mm, that don't fit. I don't know if any of you have ever been truly short-sheeted by a professional. I am pretty close to that. I was a camp director for 20 years. And I know how to do a short sheet on a bed. 
You get in there, you might break your leg trying to get into one of my beds. That's basically what's being said here. It's like, man, the bed was made so tight that when you go to get in it, your, your legs are, you, you're going to knock your own teeth out with your knees trying to stick your feet in there. You say, look, you're going to try. You're going to think everything's okay. The bed's going to look beautiful. I can make a short sheeted bed that when you look at it, go, man, that looks like that ought to be in the, you know, the Wyndham or something. <laughs> then you get in it. And you got to pull the teeth right out of the top of your knee. These guys were protesting th these things and they're just being foolish. They're being ignorant. They don't even see what's right in front of them. There's a lot of times when great things are right in front of us and we don't see them, we mock them. You know, when you tell people the truth about these things, you are being the best kind of friend, the best kind of parent, the best kind of spouse you can possibly be. It's when you go the other way, I can tell you, as a matter of psychology, the lower you set the bar, the lower the people go. Amen? People don't ever go over the bar. Some people will try and reach the bar. Some will try and get over it. But for the most part, if you set the bar low, people will go underneath that bar. And so God sets the bar high. He understands our, our human weaknesses, our carnality, those things that we have propensity towards things that are not good for us. And so he, he says, look, don't, don't disrespect what I'm doing here. Don't, don't claim yourself to be an expert you know, when trains were first invented, there are some crazy things that happened that people looked at, you know, the, this invention of the steam engine and a train, and it's just like, man, this is nuts. We believed here in the United States when the railroads first started to, to be placed around, especially the East Coast, they thought they were going to have to build insane asylums. People would be driven mad by locomotives going down the tra train tracks. Germany, experts believed that if trains traveled over 15 miles an hour, people would have bloody noses and they would bleed to death. There's so many things that when you first look at them, you're like, oh, that can't be right. When Robert Fulton invented the, the steamboat, when he was financed, some of the people who financed the first steamboat, which ended up being our main method of transportation across the ocean for almost 100 years, they, they didn't want their name attached to it because it was so foolhardy. They didn't actually think it was going to work, but they lent them money anyway. You, you see, we can see things right in front of us and we can misunderstand what they are. And if we don't act on our faith, then sometimes we miss these incredibly wonderful opportunities to be ahead of the curve instead of behind it. Don't be like that. And, and so you can't care what other people think. You have to care what God thinks. You, you, you can't care that people are going to laugh at you and mock you. The, the power of peer pressure is real, folks. People do crazy, insane, really harmful, and sometimes very dumb things because somebody said, well, you know, I did it. It's amazing that teenage boys actually live to be adults, generally speaking. 
for that very reason. Like, well, my friend did it. He lived. Yeah, well, he's also got one leg that's shorter than the other. Apostle Paul said with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any other human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Why do you say that? Because he only cared what God thought. He didn't care what other people thought. That's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, look, these people, your leaders are telling you to go one way and God's telling you to go the other. Listen to the Lord. Basically, their faith was in these political alliances and allegiances, and we're going to see that in some greater detail as we move through these woes. Look, the truth of the matter is, Israel's only hope and our only hope in all of this is the Lord Most High. Amen? If they had faith in God, they were going to make it. If they trusted the Lord, it was going to be okay. The solid rock, the sure foundation, the chief cornerstone was going to get them through anything that came their way. And the Lord's telling them that through the prophet Isaiah, saying, don't trust in Assyria. Don't trust in Egypt. Don't trust in these other things. Trust in the Lord. And that's why it ends the way it does. Verse 21 through the remainder of the chapter, all the way down to verse 29. For the Lord will rise up as at Mount Perizim. And will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon. That he may do his work, his awesome work, and bring it to pass, his act, his unusual act. And now therefore do not be mockers, lest your bonds be made strong. In other words, don't be a mocker unless I have to tie you up even tighter than I already have. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts, a destruction is determined even upon the whole earth. Give ear and hear my voice and listen and hear my speech. Does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Does he keep turning the soil and breaking the clods? When he's leveled its surface, does he sow the black cumin? Does he scatter the cumin? Does he plant wheat in rows? The barley is appointed to its place, is spelt to its place. He instructs him in right judgment as God teaches him. Notice he's saying, look, farming's hard. Life is hard. There are difficulties that are going to come your way. You've got to keep plowing. You've got to keep planting. It is only from there that you receive a harvest. For the black cumin is not threshed in the th with the threshing sledge. That's a whole different process. Nor is a cartwheel rolled over the cumin or the black cumin. It's beaten out with a stick. It's a flower, actually. It's just got some seeds in the center of it. Cumin with a rod. Bread flour must be ground. Therefore, he does not thresh it forever. Break it with his cartwheel or crush it with his horsemen. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellence in guidance. And so what's God saying at the end of this passage? The only hope is the Lord. Basically, these people are saying, well, what about David? His, his victory over the Philistines at Mount Perizim. You can find that in 2 Samuel, by the way, if you wanted to look it up. Or how about Joshua's victory over the Am Amorites at Gibeon? 
Well, the difference between Joshua and David was that they were godly. The reason they won those battles is because they listened to the Lord and did what the Lord told them to do. They trusted Jehovah. They obeyed his word. But Isaiah's mocking opponents, these guys that are saying these things, are basically saying, oh, don't trust the Lord, trust us. Let's party. Look, there's a truth buried in this. You, you cannot mock God and expect that it's going to come out well if you're a child of God. This is going to happen. You're going to reap what you've sown. And just as a farmer has different tasks, so God brings different seasons into our lives. Just as a farmer has to adapt to those tasks, so we have to adapt when God brings things into our life. And so there's going to be seasons of plowing and seasons of harvesting and seasons of threshing and seasons of doing all these things. But God's in the midst of all of it. He knows what tool to use. He knows what row to plant. He knows how to do these things. And so we're supposed to be tuned into the Lord to know what God wants us to do. And that's where your personal prayer life comes in during this time. When we're talking to God, when we're seeking God, when we're asking God, He is very quick to speak back to us. He's good that way. And He knows exactly what you need. He knows what we need. And I pray, church, that, that we, don't, we don't lose our connection with the Lord during this time. Our connection with the Lord should be growing stronger. Our connection with God should be deeper. Our trust in Him should be much greater than it was when all of this started. Because He is good and He is always right. And so what He says, we can trust Him and do. And so this woe, and though we can look at this and you know, say, wow, it's kind of heavy, it's also really light because we now know a direction that we shouldn't go. You know, one of the beautiful things, you know, I don't know how many of you have gotten addicted to Google Maps or Apple Maps or something on your phone. Remember when GPSs first came out in our cars and if you had one, you were like king of your neighborhood, queen of your neighborhood. Like, yeah, I have a TomTom. I never get lost. Well, you know, you can see absolutely every single path, amen? And now ours, it, you, you go onto Google Maps during rush hour and you can go, well, if I go over this street and that street looks all, this is all red, but this is all green. And I can go where that's exactly how the Lord wants to work in your life. He wants you to be so tuned in to his God positioning system, that's what actually makes that work is the GPS, the global positioning, but your God positioning system will actually instruct you which way to go, how to get there, what to do when you do get there. It'll guide you along the, the paths of life. And so listen to him. And when he speaks, do what he tells you. And if he warns you about something, he's doing so for a reason. So make sure you're tuned into the Lord. Make sure you're walking with the Lord. Make sure you're being obedient to the Lord and absolutely trust him with everything. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll pray together. Maybe you're here tonight and you came in and you're sitting in the back and you, you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life. 
It's the most important decision you'll ever make. That's where the journey begins. It's by inviting Christ into your life. We want you to know that that's a, that's a simple thing. That isn't a religious thing. That is you confessing that you're a sinner. That is you inviting Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And then walking with him as he imparts the spirit to you to be able to do that. Don't leave this place without that. If you don't know what to do, one of our ushers, one of our pastors, we're going to have some guys out in the back to greet you on your way out. They say, hey, I'd like to know Jesus. Father, thank you for this time tonight. Lord, thanks for this beautiful weather. Thanks for the air that we breathe. Lord, we thank you for the challenges of living under this COVID lockdown. Lord, you're teaching us things. And high on that list is to trust you, that you do have it all under control. One day we're going to see an end to this, even if it's when we go to be with you. And so, Lord, we bless your name. We thank you for tonight. Thanks for letting us get together, Lord. Thanks for this opportunity to meet outdoors as a church. Now, Lord, we bless your name. We honor you. We ask all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.